This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 4, Episode 30, World Building the Future. The Future! 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. All right. Um, we're already impressed with the title of this podcast. I, don't, I think it's downhill Our work here. is done. Yeah. Um, all right. We have had, um, we've talked a lot about world building fantasy, um, perhaps because I am often in the driver's seat and that's what I do the most of, but we do have an excellent science fiction world builder as part of our podcast and we thought we should really do another science fiction podcast. That, that would be cool for me. So we're going to talk <laughs> about, um, just like we talked about world building magic, um, we want to kind of talk about world building the future, technology, society, politics, that sort of thing for science fiction. So, Howard, how did you go about building the technology for Schlock Mercenary? Um, I've, I went about it all wrong. I okay. started telling the story before I had good reasons to back things up, and then I started making up those reasons as I went. So there's a thousand years of history between the time that you and I are currently living in and the time the strip takes place in which some fantastically improbable events must have occurred for the world to look like it looks. Now, since then, I have made some, some guidepost sorts of decisions that uh, uh, the, the world that they are living in needs to be enough like ours that I can write social satire uh-huh. that is Relevant. comprehensible. Yeah. Um, beyond now, that... I want to say, I don't think you did it necessarily the wrong way. Um, we talk about there not being many I wrong ways. I would do it the way I would way. do it if I had to do it over. Okay. Um, because I think it's very frequently, when you're just beginning something and brainstorming something, you can say, I want to have X happen. How can I make X yes. happen in my story? Or how can I make such a thing exist and make it relevant yeah. and make it actually work with the world building? I do this all the time. Um, yeah. You know, I've sat down before and said... I want to tell a story about knights in plate mail and make it, you know, this powerful mm-hmm. magical plate mail. How can I work that into a magic system right. I've been developing before and make everything work together? You do right. that with technology, I assume. To, and w- one of the things that I do with the technology is that anytime I'm going to use uh, something technological that we haven't seen before in the strip, um, I consider the consequence. If this exists and will impact the plot in whatever way, uh, what else might it impact? What is it going to change? Okay. Um, and okay. I started doing that fairly early on when I realized that the Terraport was um, what Larry Niven calls receiverless teleportation, mm-hmm. um, which means you can teleport from the location of your teleport machine to anywhere. Uh, he says re- receiverless teleportation will result in a very short war. And when I realized I'd built receiverless teleportation, I, I then went on to say, well, okay, there's going to be a very short war. Um, and I started looking at the upsets to 
uh, commerce, uh, what had they been using before? Well, what they'd been using before must have had some sort of power structure behind it, political power, not, uh, not mechanical power or you know, energy power. Um, how did that work? And once I started thinking along those lines, I reverse engineered the, the gatekeepers and you know, their monopoly, and that grew into, I think, some of the best stories I'd ever told, because the implications of uh, the Terraport being brand new technology were right. huge. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I want to I wanna ask this, um, since you already brought it up, you like to use what's going on in your comic strip to satirize what's going on nowadays in our world. Yep. So how important is it for you to look to the future and try to accurately represent how social interaction would be? I mean, how do you walk that balance if you want to satirize our world? Um, that's, that's a tough one. You know, I've made fun of, I made fun of HMOs, you mm -hmm. know, uh, poor health care early in the strip, and then realized that, uh, uh, you know, if the, the logical progression of healthcare is it gets cheap enough over time because it's fundamentally a technological right. commodity. Uh, healthcare gets cheap enough over time that a thousand years from now, we really should all have, you know, universal robotically provided healthcare. Why didn't we? Uh, I haven't gone there in the strip. Uh, and so I need to hold that back so I can keep making fun of the fact that people still get sick and die and it's expensive to not get better. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Um, and so in this case, but this is this is part of the form you're doing. Since you are doing satire, yeah. you have to kind of nudge things in a certain direction so that you can continue to have your satire. But there is this argument against science fiction that the <clears throat> more realistically you try to build your science fiction, the bigger chance you have of alienating your reader or making the, the work incomprehensible. I mean, I had mm -hmm. this problem, honestly, with The Time Machine, a um, great classic of science fiction, H.G. Wells. Um, and, you know, in this book, the man, the, the protagonist, travels forward so far in time that humankind has evolved and then evolved beyond that and then evolved beyond that to the point that it's, you know, completely incomprehensible to me. And so it, did, it became not a science fiction story, but something else to me. I'm not even sure what to explain, and science fiction has that trouble. Werner Vinge describes uh, a principle, I think he invented the term, uh, called singularity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the point beyond which none of our predictions can make any sense at all because uh, enough has changed that uh, the, you know, the, the whole world is just absolutely, completely, irretrievably different. Um, Schlock Mercenary is not set in a post-singularity setting. Right. Charles, or, or Char Charlie Strauss, Charles right. Strauss, uh, Glass House, um, which is the only thing of his that I've read, which I, I need to repent of, uh, is a post-singularity book and was fascinating because he took pains to make uh, to make things comprehensible, and the setting that he put these people in in the glass house was um, a recreation of 20th and 21st century Earth life as it was remembered post singularity. And hmm. so he was able to do these social satire things in ways that were hugely fascinating because, you know, from somebody in the far flung future looking back at how we lived back in, you know, caveman times before television was on your eyeballs. Um, or whatever, I'm not suggesting right. that's what's in the book. Um, he was able to say things that uh, you, you couldn't say in another way. It was brilliantly done. Okay.
Hey writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Let's stop for our book of the week. And Dan is actually going to do this week's book of the week. Yes, this week's book of the week is Empire of the East by Fred Saberhagen. Um, one of my very, very favorite novels as a child. Um, well, as a teen, I guess. It, it, it is uh, a fantasy book, you think. But at, the deeper you get into it, you realize that it is actually a future Earth where uh, technology has ceased to work the way it's supposed to and magic has taken over. And the way he extrapolates this future Earth is very interesting. It's set in India after this event, and by the end of the, uh, by the, end of the book, which is actually three novellas, you, uh, you figure out how we got from where we are now to this very mystical, you know, kind of God-imposed uh, magic future. It's really interesting. I love it. I recommend it highly, and uh, it is on Audible. You can get it audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Uh, 15-day free trial. You can get this book for free and uh, help support Audible and our podcast. All right. <clears throat> so this is world building the future. Let's talk about strategies for extrapolating what we have now to, to look to the future. What strategies do you guys use actively when you're trying to build your science fiction? Strategy number one, I would call the worst case scenario. Okay. Take something that is an issue today, extrapolate the worst case, and, and then wrap a story around that. A guy who does this a lot is uh, Paolo Bacigalupi, 
with mm -hmm. uh, yep. uh, Clockwork Girl. Yeah, Wind Up Girl. Or wind, yeah. Yeah, wind, wind Up, up Girl. girl. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what's the one about the, the boats? The Boat Breaker. Yeah, book. Ship Breaker. Ship Breaker. Yep. Uh, in both of these books, uh, sorry, Paulo, I wish I could remember your book titles faster. Uh, in both <laughs> of these stories, he, he, looks at, he looks at something and that, something unpleasant. In Wind Up Girl, it's uh, um, seeds and how uh, when you buy seeds, they're sterile. Right. Um, and, you know, what is, the, what is the biological trend mm -hmm. there? And when he does this, the result for us as a reader is that, you know, on the one hand, you look at this, you think, oh, gosh, that's a horrible thing. We must put a stop to it right now, lest this book come to pass. Right. Um, and on the other hand, you know, you might look at it and think, well, and if it does come to pass, maybe some of these strategies that these characters are using will help us. Right. Um, this is, you know, this is, again, a lot of science fiction is less about predicting the future and more about talking about our current human mm -hmm. experience by looking to the future and using the future as a metaphor yeah. for what, hap what could happen or what we, we, we yeah. fear will happen. Well, and, and that's the, the next strategy of future prediction, I'm going to say, mm -hmm. is... Don't forget about human weaknesses. Um, always, you know, think about where greed is going to take us as yep. a society, where commercialism, materialism, uh, privatization, all of these trends that we can kind of see now. I'm writing a science fiction right now, actually, and that's kind of the take I'm looking at it. I guess it's the anti-Roddenberry, you know. How yeah. horrible is our society going to get because humans are selfish, greedy little things? If we're... If we're uh trying to quantify strategies you know we've we've talked about worst case scenario we've talked about the human element the other one that i would look at is best case scenario okay take something that is a huge problem right now and postulate a fix mm -hmm. a wonderful perfect fantastic fix for it and now start building changes around that i mean let's say uh the fix is we want you know cheap power for automobiles mm -hmm. Yeah. Or I've got a good example of that. Speed of Dark by Elizabeth Moon is about someone discovering a cure for autism. Um, and the okay. book is simply about what happens when a cure for autism occurs to people who are autistic or have, you know, the friends and family of those who are autistic and how, you know, because being autistic is fundamentally part of your personality. If that gets cured, your personality changes. Mm -hmm. um, very fascinating book, wonderful book. And it's not approaching science fiction from, you know, a real doomsday sort yeah. of thing. It's actually looking at best case scenario. We find a cure. Yay. What does this do? Now let's tell interesting stories about people who are impacted by right. that. And that's what I would come back to with each of these is that the story is not about the worst case scenario or the best case scenario. It's about the people. Okay. I'm going to actually throw out a caveat there. Okay. That's the sort of story I like to read. That is not actually okay, the only type of story. And mm -hmm. in science fiction, there's a grand history of idea stories in yeah. particular. Yeah. Where, and these, these tend to work better as short stories. But it is all about the idea and less about the characters. I mean, mm -hmm. if you are yeah. writing a short story, it mm -hmm. is fun to throw down 5,000 words with 20 characters, right. none of whom are especially deep, but are, who are all of whose lives have been touched by whatever this change is, yeah. so that you can illustrate the change. Or you, Those know, are you, fun. you can pull the Asimov idea. No, you know, often he would have books or short stories where the characters were not as interesting as the problem and yeah. dealt with the problem and how to fix it. Um, and this is, this is okay. It really is. Um, you, there's also something like Ringworld, which was very, very idea-driven. Um, the thing is, I don't know if something like Ringworld would, would work as well today. I don't I know, know if it would Ring get published World is, today. Ringworld is, is one half adventure fiction at the yeah. same time. 
Um, Ringworld Ring is a space opera. I, I may in be which remembering far less adventure than it actually had. Uh, um, this is an argument that we should not have when we're limited to 15 minutes. That is true. So okay. I'm going to throw out another strategy. Good. This is the Brandon strategy of writing science fiction. What's cool? See, yeah. this is this is yep. <laughs> this is um, this is not how I approach necessarily writing other things, but sometimes I do. I do work backward a lot, particularly in my science fiction. I say. What would be really a really awesome story to tell? Let's build a framework for it. And mm -hmm. that's okay. Um, I'm not necessarily sitting down when I write science fiction generally to try and write something that's going to um, extrapolate to the future to look toward, you know, what can we change? What's going wrong? All of these sorts of social science fiction, which are wonderful, which I love to read. One of my favorite stories of all time is Harrison Bergeron. But when I sit down to write it, I end up writing stuff about really cool space battles. Um, <laughs> You know, a good example of that is actually Firefly, which yeah. I can't say yeah. for sure that that's how it was developed, but it really feels like it. He mm -hmm. wanted to tell a Western in space, which demanded certain ways that his world functioned, and you work backwards from there and say, well, we need frontier planets, we need a big central government, we need all of these other things, how can we explain them? That's a, that's, that's a great example. Yeah, um, and Firefly. one of the things that uh, you look at Firefly, uh, the the world building that he did there, he he established a solar system which had hundreds of habitable worlds on it. You know, some were planets in their own right, some were moons, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then he established no faster than light travel, uh, so that we're not escaping that system. Right. We have lots of worlds at our disposal, but we can't run away from the whole thing. Uh, and you know, those two principles made the, the universe very, very compelling. So. We have a writing prompt. I think oh, we, we have a writing prompt that will come magically to us from the Aether. You are instructed to write your story based on this concept, and here it is. Oh no, it's the were cuttlefish. <laughs> you are out of excuses and time. Now go write quickly before it gets you. <laughs> Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.